Let us hear the prayer of illumination. Father, if we are humble, you have promised in Psalm 10 to hear us, to hear our desire for justice for the orphaned and the, the oppressed. If we are meek, you establish our hearts. You set us on a firm foundation and build us up. Open our hearts and souls to your word that we may hear you and be heard by you. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Micah 6, and it's verses 6 through 8. Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oils? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again, and what a joy it is to be with you. While I was preparing for today, I had no idea that we were going to sing the Canticle of the Sun that we just sang that um, was written by St. Francis. And this week, I thought of um, a movie that I saw way too long ago um, called Brother Sun, Sister Moon. And it is a movie that depicts the, uh, the later life of Francis of Assisi. He is the subject of that movie, and so it makes me smile when God organizes things that we get to read those words that Francis wrote. There's a pivotal scene in that movie, and in that scene we see Pope Innocent III. He was the Pope at the time. We see St. Francis and um, the Franciscan, his followers. So they were required, actually, they were sent for, and they were supposed to appear before the Pope. And it was because most of the leadership of the church was frankly appalled by Francis's ideas and his practices of poverty, charity, and chastity. And they sought, the leaders sought the Pope's help to help quash this new order, because they didn't want to hear this. They don't want to see it, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Another thing that Francis and his followers did that really ticked everybody off is that they actually worked to reclaim a church outside of Assisi. That church was rebuilt by the poor, by the Franciscan, um, the followers of Francis. And what happened was it drew a lot of worshipers away from the church in the city of Assisi. And people were flocking there because they were watching a very different practice of their faith. Jealousy, maybe guilt, certainly anger at this Franciscan, uh, at, at Francis and his humble followers. They didn't like this Christ-like faith that motivated then those religious leaders to ask the Pope to punish Francis and his followers and to, as I said earlier, quash this group. Well, Pope Innocent 
did not do what they expected. And what he did was something that was completely unexpected for people at the time. Franz, uh, Innocent was so moved by Francis's faith that he went down on his knees and he kissed the bare feet of this humble monk. Unheard of, absolutely unheard of. Innocent, the most powerful man in Christendom, humbled himself in the face of this man who was doing nothing but living out the example of Jesus. He has shown you, all you people, what God desires. Practice justice, act with mercy, and walk humbly with God. We're going to talk about that, so let's pray as we begin and look at this verse. Lord God, again, thank you so much for calling us together. Thank you for this body of believers that loves you and has come together to learn more about you. May we find something new, something fresh in the reading of these verses. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you're aware, most of you are at least, that this is the first of three Sundays during which you're going to hear from Seth, Doug Bunnell from First Press, and then me. I am Greg Ellis this morning from Cordata. <laughs> Greg skipped out during the swap this year, and so I'm covering for him, and it's a real joy for me, actually. Well, when we got together to discuss this pulpit swap, we talked about what could we share that three people could do something with. Three separate people preparing separately, but again, wanting to provide a common vision for a, pre, a piece of scripture. Well, we settled on what happens to be my life verse, Micah 6, 8. And Kat, thank you so much for reading that for us this morning. Early in the chapter, and I would urge you to go back and look at chapter 6, early in that chapter, we are reminded that God's people are in trouble. Once again, they're struggling to make good choices, and they are happening, they, again, like all of us, happen to make bad choices periodically. The first part of this chapter actually sets out the case against them. And then God reveals in the next portion what is not pleasing, all the oils, the rivers, my firstborn, all of those things. And then we get to verse 8. He has shown you, all you people, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Well, the, the, we read in this the writer pondering his or her, her own thoughts about this. What is my response to this? What do I do now? And I've thought that very same thing. I told you this is my life verse. I pondered this verse hundreds of times. The usual things don't seem to please God. And, I, and I, as I was preparing, I went back and I remembered something that Samuel wrote, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now the problem is, it's hard sometimes to figure out just what that means. How do I accomplish this? It then occurred to me, what would happen if I if we considered our choices based on Micah's words. He has shown you, all you people, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. 
So if I considered this when I had a difficult decision to make, one that wasn't obvious to me, like happens all the time in life, what would happen? I think that it would be life-changing, and I think it would be life-enriching, not just for me, but for all of us. Well, in the next few weeks, you'll be looking at what it means to act justly, and you'll be looking at what, is it, what it means to love mercy or kindness. Well, frankly, I consider myself blessed to be looking at humility, because I think godly justice and godly mercy are always administered most faithfully if they're done with a humble heart. Well, that realization brought me to consider what a humble heart looks like. And here is where I stumbled. Because how many times have you laughed about, well, I'm really humble. Oh, I stopped being humble the minute I thought that. So we struggle a little bit with that humble heart thing. Well, I saw it as I was thinking again about that movie, and I was thinking about what Pope Innocent laid aside when he got on his knees and kissed the feet of somebody who didn't wear shoes. This was not a pretty picture, kissing the feet of Francis. And when I thought about that, and I thought about the fact that he was actually there to chastise Francis, to punish Francis and his followers, and to tell them you can't do what you're doing, this isn't right, living like Christ, uh-oh. <laughs> Innocent must have had to stop right there and just go, okay, I can't really say that. <laughs> and yet all of these leaders, all these church leaders were in that room and they were watching him and they were waiting for him to say, stop, you're harming the church. You might be harming the institution, guys, but you're sure not harming the big C church. Well, all of the Vatican was watching and people from all over, certainly the priest at, uh, in Assisi whose followers, whose congregants were all going to this church that Francis restored, they were waiting, they were watching, and they wanted to see what Innocent would do. Now we have to remember the church in the 13th century was powerful. It was political. And frankly, the leaders were able to act with impunity. They didn't really stop to think about the damage that they were doing um, to people's faith, uh, to people in general. They were taking lives. They were doing all kinds of things, selling indulgences so you could get out of purgatory, all of these different things. But yet, at that time, everybody answered to the Pope. Kings and queens in Christendom looked to the Pope. Well, it must have been gravely disappointed, and sometimes I laugh. It's kind of like when we laugh when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees because they had to have been shocked. They're expecting one thing, and all of a sudden, the leader of the Christian world falls to his knees at, at, the, at the expression of faith of this seemingly insignificant human being. It was a dramatic display of one man's humility, and it challenged me to think, what would it look like for each of us? What if we really 
lived the way Micah is describing? What if we really lived into God's desire for us? And as I pondered that this week, I literally did this. <laughs> it was like my V8 moment this week was it would look like Jesus. Duh. <laughs> I was appalled that I had never, all these years, I've been pondering this verse, and I'd never thought, this looks like Jesus. Oh, well. So as I'm writing, I, I got back to my writing after I had my duh moment. And I re remembered then the first chapter of Philippians. It's a, it's a chapter that we all know well. Paul wrote this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humans, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <sighs> Heavy sigh as I looked at that, as I read that. And you know what? I realized I'd never really understood this passage until I put it with our passage in Micah. I feel like I get it. At least I get so much more about this. This is what that means. It means that we are to act with justice, like Jesus did. We are to be merciful people, kind people, as we heard this morning. And we're to be humble in our walk with God. We live in a world right now that doesn't remind me of either of these verses. We live in a world where my rights my advancement, my everything is the only thing that counts. A humble heart really isn't valued very much in our society. Certainly not valued in, in the way that the other side of the coin is valued. Someone who puts themselves forward and it's, again, my rights, my advancement, above all else, that's valued because they advance rapidly in our society. It's the exact opposite to humbling to the point of death. It's the exact opposite of what we see from Pope Innocent, who in the face of Francis's faith, fell on his face. It's amazing to think about that, too, that a, a, a human being with such power was willing in front of his peers and in spite of what he knew his peers wanted from him, fell on his knees at the example of one who was living like Jesus. Well, I don't know how we can reconcile those two viewpoints, advance myself or hum uh, be humble to the point of death. How do we reconcile those? How do we put those together? How can we possibly choose to walk humbly with God and still survive on this planet? That's a question I had. Well, being humble doesn't mean being a doormat. 
we get that confused. Jesus gave up his right to be himself, to be God, <laughs> God with us. And with all humility, Jesus took that example right into the heart of power, right into the power that, that we grasp a hold of to advance ourselves. There's fearlessness in Jesus. I love that. And I wonder sometimes where that comes from. And I think that many humble people feel that power. It's the power of having a choice. No one took Jesus' life. No one did. He gave it up freely. Jesus had the power that he could have exercised to avoid the entire thing. Jesus gave it up freely. That's a choice. That's where the real power of humility lies, I think. Now, humility is difficult for right fighters. And we all know right fighters. I hope that we don't live our lives that way, but I know sometimes I do. I hate to confess, although I did already, um, <laughs> because this week I struggled with this very thing. But right fighters spend their energy trying to prove that they're right. They want to get the upper hand. But a humble heart, one who is humble, often accomplishes more, and you see more accomplished around them. You see them listen. You, you watch them pay attention to what the other person's saying. They listen, they learn, and they often win a way into the fighter's heart. We all know a winsome and humble spirit is a great representative for Jesus right? I mean, that's who Jesus was. He was a winsome person. People were drawn to him. We read in scripture that he wasn't, wasn't because he was a pretty guy. It was because he had this winsome and inviting heart. He was a humble, it was a humble heart. That's what God wants from us. We represent the most high God, and we know what to do because Jesus has shown us and Micah wrote it for us. We are to act with justice. We are to be merciful. And all the while, we seek to do that with a humble heart. We get that choice every single day. And it's my prayer that each one of us feels the favor of God on our humble and contrite hearts, doing all that we can to bring justice, mercy, and humility to each encounter. Let us pray together. Save us, O oh Lord, from the distraction of trying to impress others and from the dangers of having done so. Help us to enjoy praise for work well done and then to pass it on to you. Teach us to learn from criticism and give us the wisdom not to put ourselves at the center of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.